Welcome to the Adversity Psychologist Podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences, and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years' experience of mental health, disability, and human behavior. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. I'm Dr. Tara and today I have with me Dr. Lucy Russell and I'm going to let her introduce herself because I do not do my guest justice when I do it. Hello Tara and hello everyone. I'm Lucy Russell and I'm a clinical psychologist working with children and teenagers and I previously worked in the NHS but I now for the last 10 years have run a an independent clinic called Everleaf Child Psychology in Buckinghamshire and alongside that I run a parent support website called They Are The Future and that's for parents of school-aged children and it, it covers everything you could imagine about children's well-being and mental health and parenting um, and on it there are multiple articles about every every particular every specific topic you could you could um think of and uh, courses and a and a parent membership as well which i followed you on social media for a really long time and we were both involved in a an initiative during the pandemic weren't we toolkit um and that's how i kind of got to know you but i'm so interested in your work as a psychologist but also as a mum of a teenager now and a younger child as well so i get lots of really helpful useful advice from all of your work which i'm hoping as well we'll put your links on at the end so people can find out a little bit more about you and what you do so i'm absolutely thrilled that you agreed to come on today so we're going to talk a little bit about teenagers today. Um, so the kind of brainchild behind this podcast for those people who may be listening for the first time today is just looking at really off the back of the pandemic, what have we all been through? What adversity have we faced? What can we learn about how we've coped? Is there anything we might be surprised about the way we've coped? And one of the things I haven't talked about yet is our younger generation and perhaps what they've been through off the off the back of the pandemic and beyond and perhaps are continuing to go through. So, you know, being a teenager, it's a hard time of life anyway, but perhaps just thinking about what that particular demographic have had in terms of extra things thrown their way. So we're going to talk a little bit about perhaps how the pandemic may have impacted teenagers. Yeah, exactly. And first of all, I should mention that I, f- I forgot to mention in the introduction that I am a parent of two teenagers right. as well. So I also have personal experience. So uh, my daughter is nearly 17 and my son is 13 and a half. So same age as we have similar ages. Yes, yes. It's a new world, new territory I'm finding. Exactly. Um, So in terms of what I'm seeing, um, both personally in my own life and life of friends, but but more specifically in in my clinic, there's a divide, really. Um, There are there are some young people who have actually thrived, really. I guess you'd say because of the pandemic yeah. and it's it's really for example being home from school has just suited them down to the ground they haven't had that pressure that social interaction perhaps that they found difficult and they've 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 been in their in their safe place and um and it's and they've really done very well from the from the pandemic but that's not the majority and the the majority have really suffered I would say even those who 
were were thriving beforehand have have suffered like like my children um but in in our clinic we're seeing that where a child may have been perhaps a little bit anxious or a little bit you know struggling a little bit beforehand it has really magnified and really triggered right huge amounts of anxiety for them and so we're seeing for example so many more children who just can't get to school or who can make it in perhaps a day or two a week right and so it's affecting it's a, it's a having a, a a massive impact on their life because it's affecting their learning it's affecting their mental health it's affecting their 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 social interaction and sort of every conceivable aspect of their life so so I suppose anxiety is the the big thing that we're seeing and that, that perhaps where they may have been coping just about you know sort of functioning anxiety before yeah. it may have become gone way beyond that now um and also I think lack of lack of direction I think the the pandemic has made us all question a lot of things mm. and have to kind of rethink our values and um and it, I, I feel like the the pandemic has pulled the rug out of young from under the feet of of the young people and where previously perhaps they felt safe and secure and you know this is this is how the world works yes that was completely thrown and thrown into thrown into chaos and so their their sense of security and their sense of direction it is perhaps just 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 gone just been thrown out really that stable base so that really strikes me actually that you know it was an adult as well so I work predominantly with with adults um it's just how much we took for granted about how the world is our kind of personal constructs if you want to call them that little rules for living the way the world is predictability we like that don't we certainty but for children and just thinking about you know if you've got this sense of self you've got this sense of the world and then that's changed and then then the thing I really kind of thought about the pandemic is that we had these continual lockdowns so they were back to school for a bit and then not again that interruption how much that may have impacted then that kind of sense of stability and, and certainty yeah, absolutely. That constant, constant change and not quite knowing how long something might last yes. or what, what's next. And I think we also need to remember that we already had a problem with young people's mental health. That's a we, good point. Already, yeah. The way I guess I, I see it is mainly about the way where our culture is 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 set up. Um, the sort of academically driven school system, um, our fast paced lives, yes. that kind of stress inducing and you know the the knock-on effect of that things like lack of sleep affecting young people's mental health um poor poor diet to me is is a a big big one as well so all all these things um lack of community um in the last you know few decades communities have sort of disintegrated so all of these things had had in in my eyes caused a mental health epidemic anyway in young people and and i'm sure in adults but you're you're the expert there um and services mental health services weren't coping even independent ones like mine um and then the pandemic has just exploded that so in terms of you know referral rates being able to get access to more structured professional support if you need it so that's really interesting for our listeners then isn't it that we're not just talking about the pandemic and beyond but I guess you know to use kind of scientific language what was the baseline beforehand then so there were already themes emerging around it's so interesting just so many questions I've got (laughs) around you know that sense of community all the things that perhaps help mental well-being that sense of community and belonging then 
diet, exercise, socializing, all of these really good foundations for our mental health and our well-being, but those already being impacted before a big global pandemic. And in terms of then, what have you been noticing? Is there anything you've noticed particularly then post-pandemic? So as the schools have come back and children are integrating back into life again, you've talked a little bit about you've noticed kind of anxiety. Anything else, if anyone's listening, that you might have noticed, things that might not be such obvious signs to people that someone's not coping so well? It's really tricky because I guess we we have a new normal and where, you know, for example, social contact young people may not be having the same levels of social contact that they were having pre-pandemic because they haven't had enough practice um you know norms have changed generally um they're having more or more online contact and you know is that a problem is that contributing yeah probably um it's it's difficult to say but i mean certainly we're seeing a lot more social anxiety um and a lot more kind of social social withdrawal I guess yeah you would say and that's not just teenagers yeah. that's the really little ones as well so that's interesting as well though we're kind of focusing on teenagers I have to get you to come on to talk about younger ones as well but perhaps those people listening who have younger children beginning to also think about what they may be displaying what things they may be going through socially I hadn't thought as well actually for younger people that there can sometimes be a little bit of a a misconception that kids are really flexible and can just bounce back into things but from your experience then are there children who actually do find it more difficult to integrate back again to you know develop social skills or to become confident in talking again with young people and wanting to go out and socialize yeah, um, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, and I, but I think it's it has created a divide, as as I'm saying in right. the beginning. I mean, there was yeah. some did thrive, but I guess another divide is is those that have a certain level of resilience, yeah. or, or have 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 something that has enabled them to to kind of bounce back and adjust adjust to change, just adjust to the new normal, and and those who and those who haven't, who are kind of just trying to keep their heads above water, I guess those children who perhaps there is a bit of a misconception or an understanding from parents that kids will bounce back I do hear a lot in media kids are super resilient they will be fine a lot of kind of making things okay and I wonder actually how much of that is true so you know looking at how are children integrating back in the world again what might we be noticing as signs that they're struggling you know what might our presumptions be around them integrating again as parents as caregivers it's really difficult to gauge whether whether your child is struggling when you when you're not quite sure what to what to compare it to. Yeah, I guess, and with yeah. so many young uh, who are struggling, um, and I guess there might be children who had struggled, for example, socially before, yeah, who are now yeah. you know, who then just didn't get any practice and are now or any exposure and are now really struggling. Um, and so it's yeah, it's it's very difficult to judge. And I would say you know your your child, and I guess. What you need to do is look for kind of, I guess, moments of connection yeah. to, to really get to know what's going on for them and not not just be looking at what's going on on the surface. Oh, yeah, then maybe they are going to school. Maybe they're doing their homework. Maybe they do go to parties sometimes. But what's going on underneath? Maybe there are things underneath that are indicating that things aren't quite quite right, whether it's, um, you know, you may have noticed that they are obsessively on social media or gaming or you know things are creeping things are creeping up or sleep is starting to um 
kind of chipped away at but you'll only know that through those moments of connection I guess you'd say kind of micro moments or 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 just just spending that quality time with with the young person so that's really interesting isn't it the kind of I was asking the question around you know what might we start to notice but how do we get to notice that that's a really good point then isn't it you know in terms of as a parent as a caregiver or youth worker or anybody listening to this that's working with young people I love that idea of micro moment. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I'm going to be using that myself. (laughs) Um, I like it because it's not, young people don't necessarily want to be with us all the time. It's really nice when they do, but they, they do, they are moving away. They're relying more on friends and they're developing their own, their own lives, but they, they still need us. And so micro moments for me work, work better so, for example, my daughter's nearly 17, but we spend a lot of time in the car because she's uh, an avid cheerleader. So we do lots of traveling to training and competitions and things. And so just chats in the car. Yes. We don't have to make eye contact. It can be in between listening to music, you know, listening to bits of music and, you know, that sort of thing. And we, we she doesn't want to sit down and have deep and meaningful conversations. But when we're in the car... We'll have a five-minute, really in-depth chat about something. My son, not so much in the car, but he's a really brilliant cook. So we wow. might, I might be his sous chef one day, and he'll be preparing a meal. He'll give me instructions. I will be chopping vegetables for him, and then he'll tell me about his day or some idea he's had for something he's going to do. Yes, or, um, a game he's been playing, and um, I get to know what what's going on for for him in a way that you know I, again I would not just sit down and say we're, we're going to have a chat about you know what's going on for you at the moment how is school uh, that wouldn't work <laughs> I love that I know what I will be doing this evening it's so I, what I think is really lovely is already we've just begun to deconstruct some of those myths of how we talk to children that we're around caregiving working with is there is that kind of old school and I think I grew up with that you know we're going to have this chat oh and then you freeze as the child and I'm sure it's difficult for the parent or caregiver as well because sometimes you do that classic question how was your day and you're kind of met with a grunt um and then that can sometimes lead you to want to probe a bit more and I'm just wondering actually psychologically whether that just makes people move away but I love this idea of micro moments I'm going to take that with me what a wonderful concept but I'm wondering it's it's less directive as well so you know when I'm working with adults walking side by side when I do some of my community work Mm. we get a much better conversation than you do when you're face to face having to make eye contact but you know what what might that allow for the child I wonder what and what it is about those kind of situations in the car chopping some vegetables together that maybe allows them to talk a bit more I think it, it it certainly takes the pressure off, yeah. and I'm not directing I'm not directing the conversation. They're 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 bringing up what's just what pops into their mind yes. naturally. Yeah, and it, I think the eye contact thing is is really important, which is perhaps why your walks are you know so successful. Um, it, it's eye contact is very intense, yes. can be very intense yeah. for people, and um, quite stressful, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's just freeing freeing that's exactly it. and I was thinking actually you know for that wonderful example if it's right to use your son I love you know that when you're engaged in activity that's quite value-based I love the fact that you said you know he loves to cook and that's something presumably it sounds like he's able to direct as well what you're making what he needs you to do 
So just on multiple levels, then, as a psychologist is thinking about him having something valued to engage in, but he can be perhaps a bit directive, because I know at school, a lot of what you do is very much dictated by timetables and, you know, even just getting the bus to school in the morning. There's a lot of things you have to follow. Um, But also, I really love this idea then for people listening that actually that it's the the young person that's directing the conversation that they're bringing up, initiating even what you talk about. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of giving them the the sort of reminding them how, how valuable they are. Yes. You know, letting them letting them direct a conversation means I'm listening to you on your terms. Um, it reminds me of um, something I was I was trained in um, many years ago, the Webster Stratton um, framework for building relationships yes. with younger children yeah. and, and so, uh, something called child-led play where you spend a few minutes with a child each day and you you take a step back. They are in charge. You follow them. Yeah. And, it, and it helps them realise that you see them as important and, and valued and they have something to say. And I guess I guess it's a very similar thing is that exactly as you've said, they have so much structure and they're told what to do. And yeah, combining these micro moments where they can talk freely with with something where they can where you can follow them and be join with them, I guess, can be really powerful. It's also got me thinking, so this is just an observation as a parent as well and from talking to other parents, is that sometimes you might hear that you're teen your young person, you know, at school is is doing really well and, you know, they're able to deal with everything life kind of throws their way but sometimes at home you might get a slightly different picture you know where they're engaging really well at school but I know particularly with my son it it can be quite hard sometimes that at home it's really hard for him to (laughs) and it might be harder for us to have conversations so I'm just I'm I'm really interested in that concept you know of showing them that they're valued showing them that you're there they're important and how perhaps as parents we can start to think about how can we tap into that what's the equivalent of being the sous chef for them you know what is it that their children are into that they might be able to engage with something where you can sit down together stand together or just even just I love that idea we're all in cars quite a lot aren't we dropping off and picking up that that might be something people can do Um, and I'm just thinking when we're looking at I'm really into preventative mental health I really like to help people establish what we call a well-being baseline so for parents listening caregivers listening now you know what else can people be thinking of that might help them then develop this nice baseline so as well as the time to talk and help their young person feel important and valid is there anything else along those lines that might be useful for them as well for that preventative work one thing that I use very often or I encourage parents to think about very often is helping young people identify what their values are. Yes, yeah. What's important to them. And this can help them to figure out where they're going if they if they feel like they've kind of if they feel a little bit lost. Yeah. Teenagers yeah. anyway are are experimenting and trying to discover who they are mm. and what, what they're identity is and I think especially in this day and age with the pandemic and everything else that's happened they may need a bit of extra help to figure out their values yes and um, and I and I'm sure you're you know you 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 use this as well that the idea of the importance of values yeah yeah but I I I there are there are lots of ways of doing it and there's no right or wrong way but I have a set of values cards and they're actually they're freely available on my on my website which is which is a great way of um 
helping a, a child kind of narrow it down yes. uh, make a set of, it's a set of something like 50 cards with different values on them and it's not it's not all about um it's not necessarily about sort of high high level values like i don't know respect for others um it's it's things like creativity things that are kind of kind of an essential part of you and that the the idea is that you you figure out your three four maybe five but no more than that keep keep core values and that you try and live each one of them every day in just a tiny tiny way so if if one of your values is creativity if creativity is an essential kind of part of your soul and you're not living it you're not there's no outlet for your creativity then that can lead to I would say that can lead to depression and it can lead to a a sense of lack of direction so so if you can help your child to discover that and move forward and and think about how they can live it then then you're you're going to be getting to know them much more deeply really knowing what makes them tick and also helping them with their mental health I love that idea. I use values cards a lot. I do acceptance and commitment therapy with many patients. And again, kind of coming back to your earlier point, actually, what I love about the cards, again, is it's not that eye contact, sit down, let's find out about you and your values. The cards, you can kind of lay them out. You can go through them in any order. You can let them pick some up and and kind of play around with them. You can come back to it as well. So I'm just thinking in terms of, you know, attention, concentration, and also whether they're in the mood to engage with you that day or not. So looking for those micro moments, you can kind of leave them and come back, can't you? And I think for some parents as well, I know I've been in that position and I'm a psychologist. Sometimes we can struggle with the, oh, what should I say? And what if I get it wrong? And, you know, so sometimes having something structured like that can be really helpful. So what is it about value? Because I love values work. I'm always very interested in what other, why other, what is it for you about values then so there's something you'd mentioned about perhaps it might help with things like depression later on if people aren't connected is there anything else that you found about values work that's quite good for preventative mental health work well I just I just feel like it's almost like a an antidote to our the the culture that some people you know some young people are exposed to yeah yeah Instagram, TikTok, very, very superficial. Yes. And often young people are, are following celebrities, but not really knowing why. It's a um, really good what, point. You know, what what are the values of these celebrities? And it, they might be following someone just because they're funny or just because they are, you know, they like the way they look. But is that, how how is it guiding them in their lives? Yeah. So I think it might, it, it can it can help them to, think about who their role models are and and what they want to watch on on TikTok or you know what kind of culture they want to what kind of music they want to listen to that can help give them a sense of um i guess integrity and kind of cohesion in terms of their their identity so i just feel it's really fundamental for me, I'm just thinking there's so many I could almost have you on for about 10 episodes we could just do a child <laughs> podcast could we it's actually we're we're thinking about already the pandemic and how has that impacted young people's ability to socialize develop their identities um you know the schooling being interrupted then they've had to immerse themselves back into life or post-pandemic life but there's also as you quite rightly pointed out before all the 
pre-pandemic stuff, how society's changing, the online world, of course, what they're accessing. So actually, for me, I'm thinking, you know, being in connection with your values could actually be really crucial with or without a pandemic, that being able to connect with what's really important. And I was just thinking as well, actually, when some people are looking at things online, it's because it's the cool thing to do, isn't it? Well, everyone else is following this person, so I must. And I hadn't thought before, how does that then impact on your own value system where there might be some dissonance then between what you really value and want to be doing versus the teenage pressure of it's cool to follow this person or to be seen doing this so I, I'm for me what I really want people to get out of today is just thinking about kind of preventative things but things to look out for as well in, in in their teenager or young person that might be signs that someone isn't doing okay and actually I'm just wondering how many people listening might be thinking well at some point there's been something that they've noticed I know you mentioned with your own children I have two who are obviously at home during the pandemic and not in school is trying if we can (laughs) you know there's a difference isn't there between maybe noticing things and thinking maybe I need to spend some time to learn a bit more about this right up to when there might be indicators that someone needs more professional help if that's something that we can talk about and is there a kind of a spectrum you know how can parents or caregivers gauge when they might need to be doing interventions at home right up to when they may need to be looking at different types of support yeah, I mean, there's definitely a spectrum. And, but I guess what I say to parents in terms of when to seek professional help is when it's affecting your child's everyday life right. significantly, when when their well-being is, is, is affected significantly so they can't function in the same way that they, that they used to. I guess, I guess I, I can't sort of, there is a spectrum, but I sort of see kind of three tiers, I suppose. Right. One is... Um, one is kind of self self help, and or, and I, I guess I would use I would think of parents helping children yes. as self help. Yeah. So yeah, for example, the articles on my website, you know, parents whose children have have low self esteem, for example, might get might read some of my articles and be able to just put a few th- strategies in place that will really help. Yeah. Um, and then there's more guided help that isn't direct one to one help. And again, I've got. I've, our, our parent club and our my courses that are, are that more sort of you need a bit more specific guidance um but um you don't ha- you perhaps you don't quite need the the one-to-ones direct direct help yes yeah and then yeah. there is the yeah this is really significantly impacting my child we this is now now's the time we've got to we've got to get this sorted before before a crisis happens and that's when you probably need the one-to-one support. That kind of framework is that there are things that perhaps parents can be doing themselves because I wonder whether, you know, as parents, how do we know when we should go straight for professional help? What are the things that perhaps we can be doing at home? So perhaps by people having a look at your website, I think that would really help because one of the things I really love is you're really good at visually presenting things, you know, helping people to know, you know, actually by reading this article, what can I be doing now? Which to me kind of taps into that little bit of preventative as well as you may have noticed something in your child but what can we be doing now to facilitate conversations that that you know just this micro moments that's going to stay with me all week um <laughs> to perhaps encourage your child to then maybe initiate if they are struggling because it can be hard as a parent to know we can guess we can sometimes know when something we have a little radar don't we when something's not right but it's being able to pull out enough information I guess as a parent I think how do we do that to then know what those next steps are so by perhaps looking at you know things like courses and, and parent forums just hearing from other parents it can be 
really useful, can't it, as well? Um, Normalising conversations. I mean, from, from the work, when you've kind of worked with families, with, with caregivers, um, have you noticed anything yourself in terms of other families talking to each other, people starting to have conversations about well-being in their children and young people? Yeah, I think... I. I think so. And I think that's the, the same for, for all ages. I think what mental health is is being talked about a lot more um, because it because it needs to be. I think, I mean, but I think it's becoming yeah. more acceptable to do that. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, sometimes as, as I've noticed different groups of parents, sometimes people might feel that they can't say anything or that it might be a judgment on their own parenting. I was wondering whether you've come across issues like that in the people that you work with as well, where are there barriers to people seeking support for the young person because of that fear because of that worry yeah absolutely absolutely I think it's natural for parents to feel some kind of sense of it was my fault or some kind of sense of guilt which of course absolutely isn't you know it's not the case but it is just natural emotion that that would come in and it's a seeking help from a professional is a massive step or, or it feels like a massive step yeah once you get in the room you know once you get get there and you you know Hopefully you're the person that you see is friendly and welcoming and, you know, helps you realize that you're not alone. You know, hopefully all that is broken down. But at the actual taking that step to seek help is 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 really huge. And even in I have a free Facebook group that that's called Parent Tips for Positive Mental Health. And parents still feel that they have to post in there anonymously. Right. That's interesting. That sense of shame. Yes. Uh, yeah. Or, or somebody might know me in this group yeah, and not quite ready to kind of re that they're great that they're seeking support, but perhaps still don't feel that it's, that, that it's kind of okay just to talk openly about it. You've actually made me think actually when we're connecting, obviously we're talking about young people and social media and how they may be impacted by what they see. But I'm also thinking, you know, for parents, sometimes when you go onto social media, it can be full of people and their children and their achievements and, and, and this kind of sparkly life that might often be quite misrepresentative of what the average parent's going through. So I'm just thinking where, you know, as adults, if we're faced with these constant images of how other families appear to be, how other children appear to be, whether actually that could be adding into those feelings of kind of guilt or even, dare we say, shame around parenting and, and and seeking support and what's really interesting then so I, I love this idea so that you have a, a Facebook group where people can go kind of get parent advice but presumably they're also sharing hence wanting to be anonymous but just looking at that yeah. journey of people being able to reach out and looking at that journey through the kind of stigma or the or the shame um seeing how many other because sometimes I find it very powerful when you see look how many other people are experiencing these issues and um I don't want to overuse the word but kind of normalizing the fact that actually for many young people I've, I've written down everything you said <laughs> so far that when we look at everything young people were dealing with anyway in the world before the pandemic um all the things that are against them all the things that have changed perhaps since we were um young people plus the pandemic and beyond the news at the moment is saturated you know we've got cost of living crisis coming haven't we (laughs) Mm -hmm. i'm just wondering what kind of young people may be facing going forward and is there anything else that you would when we're looking at how kind of key ways to help your team we talked about validating trying to create those micro moments having time to listen help them initiate what they want to talk about is there anything else that we can be thinking of in terms of what they're exposed to or any other little tips that may be handy for people to help them as they're navigating the world around them 
Well, one thing we really haven't talked about very much, we've touched on it, but is fundamental for me is is lifestyle. Yeah. So that's probably the place where right. I, I start, you know, when a family comes to see me in the clinic, um, I, I, I start with lifestyle uh, because you can make a big difference with right. just a few small, small tweaks. So thinking about where your child is now in terms of lifestyle, you know, we're thinking about the, 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 the basics. Uh, eating, sleeping, social contact, exercise, and where you would like them to be, and perhaps making a tweak. Yes. If just just picking one thing you're going to focus on for now. It might be sleep, and making one one tweak, just one thing at a time, so you don't get overwhelmed. So sleep is a massive one for me, as as is yes. as is food. Yeah. I'm really interested in the link between eating and mental health. Food, you know, what you eat and and how it yeah. makes you feel. Yeah. Um, but so, so, you know, sleep though is, has an, um, such a fundamental impact on our mental yeah. health, the quality and the quantity. I was listening to your episode with um, Dr. Stuart yes. Sadler. So interesting. Yep. Yeah. So fascinating. And, you know, everything he said applies to teenagers as well. Yes. And, and I think that the problem is that the teenagers don't necessarily have the same self-control that adults have their brains are still developing in that way and so we need to put some bound we need to really help them with boundaries and right. that is difficult when they're pushing back yes so um my i'm i'm not very strict generally as a parent but with um bedtimes and electronic devices i am extremely strict and no devices in the bedroom right uh, and i know you know to some parents listening that you, that might feel like that how is that possible you know they might think well we're you know we're stuck now we've we're in that um, yes we're in a yes. of having it in our room how do we get out of that so that might be the, the the thing that you work on but for me that is a fundamental um young people don't have the, the same ability to regulate themselves so for me I have that boundary that you know devices all stay downstairs um they switch off about 9 p.m and they they stay downstairs and um and and that we have, have like a wind down routine yes. even though my daughter's yeah. only 17 so um it's about going back to basics thinking about where your child is where and where you want them to be and thinking okay well, it might take months but let's think of a, a, one step but also maybe re redefining your boundaries a little bit yes even if you're stuck in a, a, a rut you know maybe devices in the bedroom or you know really really late nights or your child isn't eating breakfast which for me is a, a very big one because the, the blood sugar needs to be regulated throughout the school day yes yeah but maybe you might just make one small one small change one tiny tiny thing that you're gonna try and work on over the next couple of weeks um just to tip things a bit more in their favor in terms of the, the their lifestyle these are really so, simple things as well it strikes me that they're not things we have to overly think about and actually you know supporting parents to support their children that actually I love this idea again I'm going to take away these micro moments but also just tweaks it's not too overwhelming and I'm just thinking of that lovely example you gave of the devices that sometimes brain can come in with it's really unhelpful it's too late as you say oh, it's going to be too big an issue we can't but just breaking things down into really small manageable chunks yeah and and you know breaking that down further the the, the devices in the bedroom yeah. um, idea it's it's not something you can probably change overnight if your child has been used to yes, it for months or years it might be something that you you break down into much smaller goals um so it might be that you 
agree that they can have their device until a certain time, but then you have a cutoff where you come and remove it from their room. For example, that might be a kind of a step in between. But yeah, just really breaking it down because you'd be setting yourself up for failure if you tried to do everything at once. And, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd be up against a brick wall with your, with, with your teen as well, probably. So, uh, and, you, and you'd get completely overwhelmed. So yeah, always just the simplest, the simplest and simplest change that would make the biggest difference, I guess. And I think for parents listen to this, for caregivers listen to this, you know, we need to be kind to them as well. They need to be looking after themselves in order to be able to effectively parent and look after their teens. And um, I think what's really lovely is this idea that we don't have to do it all at once. We don't have to do this big overhaul. And sometimes that can act as a barrier. And in psychology, we like to talk about the function of behavior. So for somebody listening, what could be the benefits then of not having devices upstairs? after a certain time what could they notice how might that help their teenager well it's got it's the the blue the blue light from devices is going to keep your keep your child's brain stimulated and 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 keep keep their brain confused about whether it's day or night yeah and and you you know the, the brain is very simple the circadian rhythms are very simple and your brain needs very clear cues that it's morning or that it's nighttime and so you're going to give that clarity to your child's brain that will help them that will help them wind down and teaching them that that as Stuart Sadler said your brain doesn't just go up to bed and then it's time to you know instantly goes into sleep you need that what I call a I call it a pre-bedtime runway a a winding down and so and and technology really can't be part of that because I get well things like listening to audiobooks um can be so my my son listens he's he has an Alexa in his room so that's technology but he but that's so that he doesn't have to have his phone in his room yeah that's a good idea Um, yeah and so technology in terms of screens it it should not ever be a part of the bedtime routine um because it's it's too stimulating even without the blue light you know you've got there's too much to look at on on the screen too much coming in so it's too exciting it's it's giving your 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 brain your child's brain the wrong signals your brain just needs that clarity so you need to the devices need to go off but things like volumes need to be switched down lights need to be dimmed all all the cues soothing maybe soothing drink soothing smells all the things that are going to give your child cues that it's that it's bedtime in in the sort of hour or so before before they go off to sleep so that they get the quality of sleep that that they need to feel refreshed in the morning and be able to process everything that's happened that day and thrive throughout the next day that bedtime runway I love that idea and the idea is that we're promoting sleep which helps you consolidate memories which helps your body to recover um it also for me I just I really like the idea that they're not immersed in the world in their bedroom so there's some second what I call secondary gains I'm thinking there as well that they're not chatting to people late yeah. at night or immersed in the internet um, and things you know the kind of basic things like nourishment you know the idea is to change your diet presumably because certain foods are really good for your emotional physical well-being and your development your immunity um, and, and for parents kind of thinking about that presumably you can break that down into small chunks as you say like just maybe looking at breakfast looking at what the family are eating as a whole so that it's not too overwhelming and just thinking about you know impending cost of living crises that you know there may be some people worried about 
feeding families and how yeah. they can get the nourishment in. Um, if people want to find more, is there, are there tips on your page for where to start to break things down into small chunks around things like diet or places that people can go to start to look at that if they want to find out more? Yeah, definitely. There's there's quite a lot of articles on my on my website, but there's one in particular about lifestyle and mental health that that talks about yeah the different areas, including food, and uh, and it it's it's about um you can you, you can also also kind of measure where kind of crudely, but where your child is in right. a, almost a percentage yeah. kind of way. So let's say um 100% would be your child's eating is perfect you're really happy with the way they eat they eat breakfast lunch dinner you know not too much sugar and all of that so you 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 might say okay yeah my child yeah he doesn't doesn't tend to eat breakfast but you know he eats a range of fruits and vegetables so I'm gonna I'm gonna say he's a 60% so we think about how can we get to perhaps 65% right um, and then we look at the other areas of of well-being as well things like exercise and sleep um and so we look at where what a child's kind of profile is percentage wise and where where you can inc- where you can make some some gains so yeah there's an article specifically a- about that and there's actually a um a workbook a free workbook to go with that as well where you can actually record in a, on a little chart where where you are in terms of lifestyle as well I love I think because I have a background in disability work I love visuals I think actually it's quite containing for many people and when we come back to your really good point earlier that you know it can be quite overwhelming to know where do I start and how do I how do I do these changes and how do I um, begin to know where my particular teen is at is actually having something visual then to look at so just to kind of recap then we're kind of thinking about things you mentioned about boundaries with your teenager as a kind of a well-being baseline nourishment what they're eating what they're drinking that they're hydrating looking at sleep but obviously exercise and things as well so looking at what they're doing um, and again I'm thinking you know for parents perhaps just reinventing their concept of what constitutes exercise I know I do that a lot with adults it doesn't have to be necessarily formal gym groups or classes you know is there guidance out there as to how perhaps you can help a teen look at their exercise if that's an area where they're slightly lower down on the scale yeah I'm not sure if there's specific guidance um, on my website or anything I can specifically recommend but yeah it's definitely something that comes up all the time in in my clinical work is you know a child will say well I'm really not sporty so yes. I, I don't feel yeah. anything and I like what you say about yeah, reinventing your the concept you know it doesn't have to be about formal sport it might just be getting outside for a nice walk or gardening you know getting involved in planting something outside or finding just finding something you know for lots of young people they don't they're not that into team sport but they'll find something individual like I don't know maybe martial arts or yoga or something like that 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 is brilliant exercise but they perhaps don't think of it as that um and 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 also there's things they can do at home if they're you know they're not confident to get out and about join a club or anything like that just things like dancing around the room yes absolutely you know, you underestimated that kind of you know sometimes that concept of just moving your body just going up and downstairs giving them some laundry <laughs> to put away you know going up and downstairs yeah. my teenager yeah. does a joe wicks on the ipad you know he'll just go onto youtube oh. and do some of that in the evening sometimes if you know he, he feels he wants to do some exercise it's a good outlet for him but it's just reinventing that and i'm thinking as well just coming back actually we've done quite a lot of self-care for parents today haven't we between us it's just helping yeah. them because sometimes as you say if you know there is areas that you might want to look at that could really benefit 
fit your teen and their mental health, their well-being, that that can sometimes feel overwhelming. But breaking things down into small manageable chunks, that idea of a runway, I really like that idea that eventually you'll get that lift off, but you've got to do a few things um, that's manageable uh, kind of along the way. Um, Is there anything else? We're just kind of thinking about the kind of social element as well, weren't we? Boundaries and social elements. Is there anything else that you think would be important for our listeners in terms of those categories or places where they could perhaps learn a little bit more about that helping teenagers to socialize integrate putting boundaries in as parents well that's really tough because I think that what we understand as being social is is very different yes. from perhaps what yeah. many teens understand as being social, yeah. and that's and it's changing all the time and shifting as well. It really is, yeah. Um, so I've really had to reflect recently on what I consider social. You know, my my son in particular being social because he does play online a lot with his friends. Yeah, and yeah. Me but he's less keen to meet them face to face and I think well is that okay maybe that's okay yeah um because he is interacting with them I know it's not quite the same he's not getting that face-to-face practice as much although he is at school um you know that there's a lot to be said for some some of those skills that you learn face to face yes yeah reading people's facial expressions um and responding accordingly but he's still getting some valuable interaction and, and that's, you know, it's, that's, he feels relaxed in that, in that context. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's one thing is it's, 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 it's really hard for us to get that perspective into, into what's normal and what's okay. It's a really good point, isn't it, actually? Because I'm just wondering, actually, that in itself may be very useful for parents and caregivers listening, that sometimes there might be, and I know I'm guilty of doing this, going, oh, you're not socializing, you're not, you know, that maybe my construct might be a little bit too rigid that, maybe we need to be looking at a kind of a wider picture of what are they getting you mentioned the word relax that he's relaxed enjoying he's interacting with people he's got a balance because he's with people face to face at school perhaps if teenagers are in clubs sports clubs that kind of thing so maybe just kind of widening out that picture yeah Yeah. and also thinking that um whether it's because of the pandemic I think probably probably it is or not but I think a lot of uh young people are Need, are needing a lot of quiet time and downtime yes yeah perhaps because they're just not used to you know going to loads of parties and you know massive social social gatherings and things so um your young person may be able to socialize and, and go out but then they might need quite a lot of time to recharge their battery after that yes. so and it's completely unique to each person similarly some young people can do one-to-one fine one-to-one is okay you know they can go out with their friend into town yeah put put them in a group you know a group a club or you know a sporting activity and it's just too much yeah so it's almost like a, there's a it's almost like multi-dimensional the social side of things and you have to work out where your child's kind of profile sits and I guess the only time you need to worry is if they're completely isolated and, and you, you sense that that is affecting their mental yes. health yeah. So again, that kind of building up that picture, isn't it? Taking that time to yeah. look at their, I really love, it's very kind of person-centered, isn't it? Looking at their mm. individual profile. And actually, I'm wondering whether that might be really useful for people listening, that there may be comparisons with other friends' children, but they're doing this or they're socializing in this way, that mm. it's good to maybe keep an eye on what's going on, what the wider picture is. But I really like that idea of developing a person-centered profile for your child, but keeping an eye on that so again looking for kind of indicators that maybe their mental health is being impacted so if I always ask my 
guests for kind of one my signature move one adversity takeaway we've talked about so much I've learned so much today if there was one little adversity takeaway one nugget that you could share what might that be there are so many important things that we've discussed there today really are, I th- yeah <laughs> I might allow you five <laughs> if I I think if I had to choose one thing that I feel that many parents underestimate it's the importance of sleep yeah. for mental health yeah so I would say yeah really drill down on your child's sleep you know monitor see what's going on sleep wise and and whether whether it could be affecting them it's not just their mental health but it's it's their mood generally yeah. but also academically yeah. it could yeah. be affecting them as well their you know their cognitive performance co- academic performance so it, yeah maybe if I had to choose one it would be if, if sleep falls into place, if sleep, if you get sleep right, then a lot of other things will fall into place as well. Yeah, that's a really good point, that's isn't it? So yeah. people listening are definitely going to be, I need more. <laughs> I need more of Dr. Lucy. How can they find you if they want to find a bit more about you, get access to your great resources? Um, so my parent support website is theyarethefuture.co.uk. Um, and then on Facebook, the, the free Facebook group is called Parent Tips for Positive Mental Health UK, I think. Um, I'm on Instagram and, and Facebook as well, both as they are the future. I will post all of your links in the show notes for people as well, um, because you have so much great content. And again, just coming back to this, the kind of framework you're talking about earlier, things that you can be doing, the kind of self-help as a parent with your child, but things that you can be doing that are more in communities and then thinking about wider support are really like that framework um lucy thank you so much for coming on it's been amazing um and hopefully i'm wondering whether you'll come back in another series <laughs> maybe we could look at younger children as well because i know you do cover all ages and people are definitely going to want to hear more of you aren't they <laughs> so thank you so much it's been a real pleasure thank you tara i'd be happy to come back <laughs> you're welcome Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm Dr. Tara Quintrillo and you can find me at drtara.co.uk. You'll see everything I'm up to, free resources, my media work and my new COVID recovery clinic as well. Remember to please rate and review my podcast. It really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us. The Adversity Psychologist podcast, helping you step at a time.